Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Angle on Producers, the show where we demystify the producer's journey while giving you a glimpse of what it's like to walk this career path. As always, I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. Thank you so much for tuning in and doing this live thing with me. However you found the show, you're here. And if you don't already, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. I also send a weekly newsletter. So if you would like to receive that, head on over to angleonproducers.com and sign up now. So before we jump into this week's episode, I want to go ahead and apologize for the sound quality. My microphone was not working the day we recorded. My audio is less than stellar, but hopefully with the juiciness of this conversation, you won't even notice. So this week on the show, we hear from the energetic Nicole Tosu, who lives by the mantra, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. A child of immigrant parents and proud native of Washington, D.C., Nicole's career began in the ABC Page program in New York, working on iconic programs such as The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and Saturday Night Live. She worked at A&E Networks and A&E Studios for five years before heading west and landing at Spring Hill Entertainment. While there, she was deeply involved with the development of scripted and unscripted content, including Netflix's Self Made, inspired by the life of Madam C.J. Walker, starring Octavia Spencer. I love this show, by the way, so if you have not seen it, highly, highly recommend checking it out. Nicole is currently the head of television at Project X Entertainment and is an EP on Netflix's The Night Agent. The show premiered in April and was in the top 10 list of the streamer's most popular shows ever. I absolutely adored my chat with Nicole, and as you'll hear, I was in a funky moment the day we recorded, not gonna lie, you know, always keep it real with you guys, and she really lifted my spirits. As much as I do this show for everyone listening, for our community, oftentimes these conversations feel like free therapy for me, and this was one of those days. So tune in as we dive into learning to set boundaries for yourself the importance of stepping away to enjoy things outside of the industry so you reinvigorate your spark, and how she found ways to feel whole and define herself outside of her job. So without further ado, here's Nicole. We are just going to record with the built-in audio for Zoom, and that's okay. Okay. It works out. I started the show calling it Life with Kaka. It's, you know, it's a play on my name, but also like speaking to the the Kaka of life and of this business particularly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just been a season of endless Kaka. It has felt like over here <laughs> on my side of things. Oh, so we're focusing on the gratitude. You know, we're focusing on what is sure. as much as we can, but it's just been hard out here for a pimp, you know? So how are you? How are you holding up? Oh, girl, same shit, different day. But I think that out of all the things, I, I'm very blessed because I still have a job as of today. <laughs> I still have a job. No, I'll have a job tomorrow too. Uh, I still have a job. I have a wonderful family. I have a great kid who's unfortunately at home sick today. So I'm, I'm going to try to leave a little bit early today so we can cuddle because I know she, mm. I was up last night and I'm, I know she, she, my husband was like, she didn't say it. But I could tell she really wanted you home. So I felt bad about that. But that's the life of a working mom. Which I want to get into because that's a theme that is relevant to any woman anywhere and any time and place, not just in Hollywood, but certainly like as I am a woman entering a certain age and looking to transition into motherhood myself, I'm like now more interested in the topic than ever and understanding how women in our business do it and have done it and all the things. So that will be something I'm excited to dig into. Um, yes. Well, lovely. I'm excited to dive in. So I like to jump into the deep end of the pool and not drown anyway. So why don't we just... I got floaties. I'm good. Let's go. 
you gotta have a floaty with a drink. That's what I'm learning. I feel like for a long time, I was just like, I'm gonna just keep pedaling. And now through much therapy and just because I'm tired, I'm just like, I need me one of those avocado floats, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I can just post up for a minute. And there's no shame in that. You know, I think a lot about um, conversations I've already had with women on the show who are eons ahead of me, who are way more impressive, who've just been in it, in the grind for a long time. I specifically think of Stephanie Elaine, who was really honest about this metaphor that she said, you know, where sometimes it's okay to like not have to pedal so hard and to just coast for a little bit. And that's like a secret of this business. People don't want to tell you because it's all about like the grind and the hustle and like, what are you up to? And what have you done? And da, 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 where are you going? And she's like, sometimes you just want to enjoy the fucking view and that's okay. And as ambitious women, I think it's important to hear that, especially in seasons like this, where it's just rife with, with challenges all around, you know, and that bicycle metaphor always stayed with me. I agree with it wholeheartedly. I think people always, you know, we always talk about work-life balance. I mean, it really is a balance. Like I realize I've always been a hustler. I've always been a grinder. I, I'm a child of immigrant parents. So there is no such thing as downtime, right? You do, 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 you sleep and then you do again. Like that's it, right? So, <laughs> um, or maybe you don't sleep. But yeah, I think after reflecting on the last couple of years, like everyone else did with the pandemic, like I've never lived a work smarter. I've never figured out how to implement that. I would always hear that work smart, you know, play hard, all that stuff. Like I never understood that. I was just like, what does that mean? And, and recently I figured out what that is and it's boundaries. <laughs> That's what it is. It's setting boundaries and not for like others, but for yourself. Right. Because then that's also the message is like, oh, you guys have boundaries. And then they're like, well, you got to let people know. Like, no, you got to let yourself know Mm. how much you can handle. Right. So if you know, if you know you can't operate after a dinner, then don't even try it. Like, why even push yourself to do something that you know very well you can't do? So for me, it was like, there's a window where I can opt operate at my my best. And that's after I drop my daughter off and it's right before I get home. Anytime after that, I'm, I can't, I can't function. So then I go, okay, if I have work to do, like if I have scripts to read, a deck to make or any give notes, I make sure that I I do it in that window. If I can't do it at that window, then I'll do it the next day. But I think it takes a lot of maturity, right? And self-awareness to get to a point where you even know one that you need boundaries. And then two, how to set them in a way that are effective in your life. And certainly where you are in your life impacts how the boundaries get set. Certainly, I would assume the Nicole of five, six years ago, before there was a daughter in the picture, her boundaries were maybe a little different. Maybe they were more flexible. You know, there was there was just a difference in priorities too. And I think that comes with age and a lot of younger people who starting out often ask me this question and it's like, it's always evolving. But I think as long as you are the one kind of zooming out every so often and being like, whoa, is this working for me and where I am right now? Like the way you have to work in my humble opinion, when you're 20 years old, starting out in this business is going to be significantly different than the way you work when you're 35 in this business, right? If you've been in it for 15 years, the work doesn't get necessarily easier, but you've been able to build yourself up to a point where now you understand how to juggle all the things you're talking about and how to really set these boundaries in a way where you're set up for success and you don't drop the certain balls that you shouldn't drop. Um, Cause that's the other part. I've seen some of the younger people come into the workforce, you know, who are like, well, my boundary is I'm done at five o'clock. And it's like, 
well, that's not how Hollywood works. Like, unfortunately, like you have to be on email if somebody's going to cancel on your boss tomorrow. Like, it's just how it goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My question is, did it take the pandemic for you to find this sense of boundary for yourself and really solidify it? Or were you already maybe on the journey to like really set this for yourself? And then maybe the pandemic just made it like, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely the latter. I was already on that tip. When I was making the step to Project X, I just was at Spring Hill. I was a creative exec and I was ready to make that big move of being head of a division and running a slate and all that. So I already made the, the, I made the, I already came to the decision that I, I think I need to push myself in this direction, having some ownership in something. Cause that was part of it too, is it, you know, it was, I was the only person at the time I, I started at the company, maybe three years, not three, three weeks before the pandemic. I was like, perfect timing, Nicole. Um, so I, you like know, you could have known, right? No, right. I mean, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm not that tapped in, but yeah. <laughs> when I was looking at the positions that I wanted to, to, to step into, they were not only interviewing me, I was interviewing them because my family comes first, you know, like, are they going to understand that? I'm like, I'm going to have to dip and do story time with my kid. Like, are they going to understand that? What type of environments are they cultivating? Like a, a culture, so I already made the decision that I was going to be in a position that was going to allow me to do all those things, like be a present mom, a present wife, also uh, a good friend, a good daughter. You know, yeah, I would be starting a new division and, and creating a slate, but that balance, that's what I really need. I felt I felt like I wasn't really able to do that in my previous jobs. Work was everything. Yeah. And when we got into the pandemic, it was like, yeah, well, <laughs> You got what you asked, right? So (laughs) then it was like being home all the time, (laughs) right? And you're like a little too on the nose, universe. (laughs) Little too on the nose. But then it was, but then even more so because when we did get in, there was also this thing of like, oh well, you wake up, you work, you you know, go to sleep, and da da. And so then it was also creating additional boundaries for that too, Mm -hmm. because that was my daughter was very young at that age, so she understood that when mommy's home, then it's mommy and me time and I'm home. And it, there wasn't a lot of mommy and me time. She was like, okay, then why are you here? If you're not going to play with me, I'm going to play with daddy. <laughs> she left me hanging. And I did not like that <laughs> at all. I, then I had to, again, rejigger how I was going to do this. And then I figured out a way to shut off at, after a certain time and really enjoy, even though it was really bad out on the outside, but I had this moment where I could really be there and play with her more than I would normally. And then also figure out a way to, to date my husband, even though we we were able to go outside. It was a lot of, a lot of that happening. And then it carried on until after, you know, it it just, then I found the rhythm and I was like, okay, this is the thing. This is, this is my day to day. This is, this is the pace that I want. Then it happened that I ended up being more creative out of that. I found myself creating more ideas for TV shows, just writing. I'm not a writer, but I was just writing. I found myself writing. I found myself enjoying television again, too, Mm. right? Because I think that's the problem, really, I feel, with this. a little. There's a whole bunch of things happening, but I feel like we've forgotten how to be fans of TV and film. It's too much. I mean, how can you? Like, how can you even process or digest a show, its brilliance, when everything is like you consume it in eight hours and then there's no one to even talk to about it? Like, there's so many shows that I'm like, 
oh, I got want to debrief and nerd out. And like, you can't be a fan of things anymore. And with what we do, sometimes you even have time to watch stuff. And like, there's so much content that I think, I think people are perpetually overwhelmed and burnt out. Yeah. And then so much of what is out there is not that good anyway, that it's like, unless you hear about a show 18 times from someone, you're like, okay, I'll watch succession, you know, like with our time being more precious than ever, it's sometimes really disheartening. And I I think that's it too. I think like we went into this pendulum swung really far the other way, like we just got content. We just got to get involved. We just clogged the pipes, clogged the pipes. And now everybody's like drowning. Uh There's just this insecurity of like, what is the future of our business beyond the strike? You know, like uh, the business has always been cyclical. It's always been in a state of constant change. Uh This is not new. But it feels somewhat dire, this go around for me. I don't know if that's just where I'm at in my life or the people in my life, but it just feels like I, I'm disillusioned by it, you know, and I, I want to get that. Game. And I want to get the magic back. Yeah, I do. I got to be honest. I'm just feeling like, what is this the point where perhaps I go find something else to do? You know, no, what I mean? we need you to. <laughs> do that don't get somebody else to do it don't get somebody else to do it okay like no I think I I don't want to go anywhere but I think it's important that listeners hear this and and I I always meant I say I'm gonna be real with people and I mean that but that's just like where I'm at and it's all compounding and a lot of different things happening in my life but I'm looking to find that spark again that Mm -hmm. I have lost recently and everything in the business certainly isn't helping so you know, I, I don't blame you. I think I was actually going to flip it to you and be like, what do you, how do you feel? And then you perfect segue into it. Cause I think it's important to find these moments to step away. And like I said, enjoy, not only enjoy content for what it is, but to also find things outside of the industry. Like I love nails. I get, I mean, these are old, but I love nails, love hair, I'm, you'll sometimes find me on on YouTube, like looking at these fashion experts and all that stuff. And that's my way of escaping. Obviously, if you have a family, escape into your family. I think with the pandemic, I found a new love of TV, largely because I wasn't watching American television. I was hmm. watching a lot of Korean dramas, like a lot. <laughs> So much so that I had to get another subscription called Vicky that I signed up for because I had exhausted the K-dramas on that. My goodness, woman. Right. (laughs) So I I urge you to just, you know, take those moments to get away from the industry because I feel like you're, when you come back, you'll miss it. You got to miss it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you'll, you'll come back to it because I can't help but to think creatively like that. But I usually come up with these things when I'm on a girl's trip, when I'm getting my nails done, when I'm looking at, you know, Hilo Lux on YouTube, (laughs) um, when I'm cooking, (laughs) that's when that spark comes back. I always tell people that if you say, oh, I can't see myself doing anything but the the television, then this isn't the industry for you. You got to want to be here, not need to be here. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay. Yes. Okay. I didn't realize this was a therapy session for me. So oh, no. <laughs> Cause I'm like preaching this and I talk about this very candidly, but you know, sometimes I got to take my own advice. <laughs> yeah. You got to want to be here. Not because when you, when yeah. you, it comes from a place of desperation, you'll do anything. You'll do anything. Yeah. Right. 
And you don't want to operate from a place of fear or desperation. Right, right. And I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of that is because I'm a person of faith. So I operate from a position of someone that believes in God and my head is in the Bible. And Mm. it centers me because it makes me a part of something larger, right? Because I recognize that this position that I'm in as a producer, everybody wants to be us. Everybody wants to do this job. So it's a privilege to be in this position. At any moment, this could go away. So I know that there's a specific amount of time that I'm here. And my job as a producer is not only to make some, you know, some hits, but it's also to be an example for people that you can do this. It's actual work, but you can do this job and still feel whole separate from this industry. This industry should not make you feel whole. It should not feed into define it. you. It shouldn't right. define you. Yes, it should yeah. define you. Like when you go to my IG, it's like mom, wife, child of God, or you know, and oh, I don't know. I think it's in that order. And then producer. I think that's where a lot of um, people who lose direction or sense of self, or that's where it comes from because they come into this industry looking for the industry to help them define who they are, or they don't know themselves before they come here. I knew who I was before I came, I came here. What was it that sparked for you to get into this business in the first place? And how were those early days? I love <laughs> I love answering this question because it, when I, as long as I, I mean, as early as I can remember, I, I was watching TV all the time. If I wasn't outside or, or my head wasn't in a book, I was watching TV and I didn't have a bedtime. <laughs> so I would just stay up and watch late night talk shows. I would watch shows I shouldn't be watching. Um, like 30 something and like my so-called life. I just knew I wanted to be, you know, you get TV guys. I would memorize schedules like TGIF. Like it was just a thing. And I just knew I wanted to be in it. But a lot of the shows I was watching didn't really have people that even like when I was getting into the teen era where, you know, it was like the Dawson's Creeks and the 90210s. I mean, I had Martin, I had New York Undercover, I had all these things. But yeah, Martin, yes, I love but Martin. But for me, I was a huge, I was a huge nerd. I loved fantasy. And I remember watching Buffy, being obsessed from the minute. I mean, I was, I've seen Buffy maybe 10 times. And I'll never forget this. When Bianca Lawson guest starred as Kendra, as a vampire slayer. And I was like, oh, we can be in this space too. Like, I, it, I just, this light bulb, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to create stories from a black perspective in this world. And and not as a supporting cast member, but like as the lead. And there are all these, always these things that even when I moved here in 2016, there were these announcements being made of things being teased, like, oh, we're going to do a black Buffy. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And eventually we got Lovecraft and and a a couple others. But for me, that's why I came here. I wanted to Mm -hmm. produce shows where it was inclusive. As I mentioned, I'm I'm a child of immigrants, so my family's from West Africa. My mom would, you know, tell me these stories about these, cre- myth, you, know, you know, mythological creatures or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was watching Little Mermaid, she was like, oh, that's Mami Wata. And I'm like, what is that? Tell me more, you know? <laughs> and being like, oh, maybe I can do a TV show where, you know, we can look at these, like, gods, but from an African, you know? So when I watched Black Panther, I was like, cried in a the theater. Like, I was just bald. Yeah. I was like, this is exactly... And I got a chance to meet Ryan. And I was like, I'm just letting you know, man, you like, you know, I started crying again and whatever. But anyways, but 
that's what that was the spark that's that the spark was, and so right. then how that's do you okay so like more practically speaking then how do you go from like you have this goal you have this vision i don't know where you were at before you moved to la how do you bridge that i want to do this with how you got started how you got on the path because you worked in like late night for a bit right with with like jimmy fallon the today show and then oh yeah yeah, so I knew I said I wasn't going to LA. Well, I wasn't going to LA, so my mom wouldn't let me go to LA. You are not you are not going to LA. You are you are staying here, that's it, you know. And I was like, Well, can I go to New York? And I I was able to do that. I was a really good student, so I got into Fordham and um just living my best life. Um <laughs> and then when I graduated, I didn't prepare as well as I should have. So I ended up taking anything. So I was I was an IT recruiter for a little bit. I was an IT recruiter for three years. But credit to my girl Rashida. She did the page program at NBC and she was like, girl, you need to be up in this program. Like this is where <laughs> and I was like, girl, they're not paying. I'm not doing it. But well. eventually <laughs> um <laughs> The market crashed and I, and I was like, all right, Nicole, stop playing games. Like, go do this thing. And I, I got in. I got into the page program, not realizing how hard it was. I would never forget it was a day two and I'm in my uniform and I'm walking to page office and I see this stack of papers. I'm like, oh, what's that? She's like, oh, she's like, resumes, the program corner, just clickety clack on our computer. She's like, resumes, not even looking at me. And I'm like, wow, like, okay, I'm supposed to be here. And so that year, the page program is an amazing program. It's an entry-level program. And you, basically when you get in, the work does not end. Uh, you get in and you give tours. I mean, it was, it was it's a tough program. You work and you give tours of 30 Rock, which is like, I'm convinced it's magic. It's a magical building. Um, and you work on uh, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, um, SNL, doing audience stuff. And then mm. you apply for these assignments I don't think it's the same anymore, but it's been a minute, but you apply for these assignments. And when you get these assignments, you get, I mean, depending on what your, your passion is, I knew that I wanted to be in TV. That was it. I didn't realize that I wanted to be a development exec until I had this, this, uh, this assignment at CNBC in New Jersey. And I was like, of course there are people who make the decisions for TV shows. Duh. This is what I want to do. And at the end of the program, everyone throws all these things at you, what you should be doing. I knew I wanted to do scripted and I knew not much of that was done in New York, but I was like, I still want to be in development. And they were like, well, you have to go be, you know, uh, work at an agency. So I worked at Gersh. I was there for a hot second. And then I landed at a Networks and and then went from there. So at a Networks, I was working with um, Lily Newmeyer. Laura Flurry, Drew Tappan, wonderful executives who saw the hunger and and really just wanted to like mentor me and help me like figure out what my next move was beyond the desk. So um, I was there for a little bit and then an opportunity. Can we pause just for a second? Because yeah. mentorship is, comes up often, right? Mm-hmm. And there's always this like, how do you get a mentor and how do you get people to help you? And like, yeah. there's this formal thing people think of that sometimes that you got to like, officially, you know, please uh, mentor me and you have to like give blood or something like that. So I'm curious how like you stepping into this environment very quickly, like they saw that you had this hunger and then you, because it's always on the mentee, right? You were able to nurture that relationship in a way where they really got to mentor you. But for those listening who are like hungry for a mentor as well, for that kind of mentorship in their life, talk a little bit about how you did it specifically as a mentee and what you brought to the table 
right? What you were bringing to the table for them to keep investing in you. Cause it takes a lot of time out of their day. That's and true. That's what people need to know. Yeah. I asked a lot of questions. I just asked a lot of questions and I would sit in meetings. I would ask to sit in meetings. I just asked. I didn't, there, no one said that's what you had to do. I just did it. For me, it was like, the worst thing I'll say is no, fine. I'll just be back at my desk <laughs> reading something that would let me know what you're, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was a sponge. So I just asked a lot of questions. They saw that and were like, okay, like, we're going to bring you into this meeting, bring you into this meeting. And then eventually they just created opportunities for me where I was working on the bio. It's not, it no longer exists, but bio network, bio channel. It was like the biography channel. So I was working on a show there. And then because I already expressed interest in scripted, when the opportunity opened to work for the president of the network, it was, they weren't really interviewing anyone else. And when we had coffee, me and Bob, I love Bob. Um, he was like, look, I want someone who watches everything, who reads everything to really help me, you know, with this desk. And I was like, I do that on a regular. So let's go. And so we hit the ground running together. And for a long time, it was me and him um, at the studios, too. Uh, I would read everything, too. I would watch everything. I mean, I really was a sponge. I just wanted to be in it so bad that I just, any opportunity that I could, I just inserted myself. I mean, I really did insert it. But now looking back, I was really bold. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to be part of that. I'm going to be part of that. And no one said no, because I was the assistant to the president of the network. Uh, and then eventually the studio at the time. So I say this, you don't have to be the president of a, of a C-level executive. Just, just keep inserting it's it's a tricky thing because I think there's a finesse to inserting yourself yes. in what I have learned from my own career and from the many incredible women who've given tons of advice on the show. It's like you are invited to nothing, but you are welcome to join everything. It's kind of like the mentality. Someone said this, I forget who it was. It was like brilliant. And it's so true. It's There is this feeling of elbowing your way into places because no one is thinking about you in that way. Even yeah. though they were once where you were, they forget because as you rise up, your responsibilities change. You're just not thinking about that. You have too much on your plate. So it's it's on the person coming up who is the one who who holds the most interest in obtaining that knowledge to really find ways that they can assert themselves in those situations. Now, however, I'll caveat that with saying that you also got to know your place. You know what word, I mean? Like, word. That's so true. Because you don't want to come in, coming in hot and then speaking out of turn or just really like, if you're going to go be a sponge, be a sponge. Don't be a talkative sponge, you know, know the time and place that's when facts. questions are meant to be asked. And when it's, it's not the time and place for those questions. It's so specific to relationships and people. And I think that's what makes this business inherently exhilarating, but also so just so complicated to navigate because for every one situation where you can advise someone to do A, there's always a B, a C, and a D scenario that worked for someone else. You have to be so in tune with your environment and reading the room and reading the people you're working with to make sure that you're like in alignment with it, it is so hard to explain or quantify that. And anyone listening who's, who's lived this knows what I mean. So I think you 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 explained it really beautifully. The part of it was also, I wanted to always be ready to have an opinion. So you don't get ready, just stay ready. So whenever there was an opportunity for me to chime in, whenever someone asked, hey, Nicole, what do you think? Or even when they didn't even ask what I think, I just chimed in. It, it always worked out because I was always aware of everything that was happening, right? Mm -hmm. I'm naturally a nosy person. So I made it my business <laughs> to know everything. 
so that when the, the opportunity came for me to chime in and be additive, because I always make sure that I'm additive to a conversation. I never just, I don't like to hear myself talking to, to begin with. Um, so when this episode comes out, I, I, it would be very hard for me to listen to this, but I, <laughs> I want to make sure that whenever I do raise my hand and say something that it's adding to the conversation. And yes. I think that's what prepare, prepared me into my next role. So when I got married I'm and moved to LA from New York, after being with A&E Networks and Studios for a bit of time, I realized I didn't want to be a development executive. I really wanted to be a producer because I loved being there from the initial point of the idea, the kernel, right? And, in blow, and, and you know, fleshing it out from there. So I made a list. I'm really big on lists. I'm really good about visualizing. So I made a list of production companies I wanted to work at. And one of them was Spring Hill. So when I saw the job listing, I was like, yeah. I got this. <laughs> like, <laughs> <I'm> there. <laughs> And I got the job. I, I knew I was going to get the job. I was like, I can, Amazing. the job I'm already doing, I can do it in my sleep. So I was doing it for the president, for the, the CEO at the time. And I made it also clear, again, it's it's all about reading the room, but making it clear what your intentions are in the role. I was very clear to let them know, like, look, I will be your assistant. I didn't say it like this, but in I'm just paraphrasing here. I will be your assistant, but my my goal is to be a producer. So just put that in the back of your head. And instead of nagging and being like, remember when I said, remember when I said, remember when I said, I just did the job. Whenever there was an opportunity to put lists together for writers, uh, talent, anything, like I would just be on the ready. Like, again, you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. So when there was opportunities at the time, like, oh, what are some director ideas for season two of, you know, Survivor's Morris? I was like, clickety, click, 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 click. And, you know, listening on the conversation, and then throwing ideas out that would be used in the conversation. I created a niche for myself. I really wanted to do genre. So I tried to do that over there. When it was time for me to get off the desk, which was about, about six months into the, the gig, they were like, okay, we're going to move you off the desk. But it wasn't until another six months till I found my replacement because I was supporting two people. But when it finally came time for me to get off the desk, I, of course, love scripted, but I also wanted to make sure that I was busy. So I was like, hey, I can do scripted and unscripted. I volunteered that. And so I balanced, I figured out a way to do both. I would, I mean, even when I was an assistant, I was bringing in projects. I was bringing in writers, relationships, talent relationships that I was building new to LA. I was telling anybody and everybody at that time, I didn't have a kid. So I was out in these streets meeting everybody and would bring those folks in. And I did that for a number of years and it got a chance to work on amazing projects like self-made and top boy. Like I was working towards the, these moments, but I had been doing the work for so long so that when I got there, I was already miles, you know, miles ahead. Yeah. Yeah. You were ahead of the game. It's like they say, you know, to like do the work for the job that you want, not necessarily the job that you have. Right. It's almost like you have to love it enough to be down to do that level of work and that commitment of work and be excited. And when you're not excited, like me right now, you've got to be able to step away and step back. I talk about this a lot, like leaving LA physically is really important because there's so much more to life than just this bubble that we can get sucked in. To me, that's always been the thing that helps me kind of like find myself back into it. And so I'm working on that and finding some ways to kind of reset myself so I can continue to do this work. But but back to you. So then you you shortly thereafter, now you're head of TV at Project X. Talk about making that leap from the assistant track into jumping more into like 
ahead of something, all of that responsibility, was that something that you had to really carve out or did the path just kind of unfold for you a little bit more seamless? The latter. Uh, I was very fortunate. You know, when whenever someone asked well, what's next for you, I, I again, it's, it's kind of like manifesting, visualizing, praying about it. It was that I wanted to be in this role. Um, and how it came about was really weird. It, it wasn't, it was, I will, it'll be too long for me to go into this podcast, but it was, it was very divine. I'll say <sighs> imposter syndrome is a thing for sure. Mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I talked to a lot of my friends about this role and all of them were like, you're already doing it. You just have to do it by yourself <laughs> in this new role. You know, you, you know, the right people, you, you have the relationships and if you don't have them, your partners will. And it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. I, you know, I really, when I met with William, Paul and Jamie, it was very, the vibes were just, I know people were talking about vibes. I mean, vibes were really good. I could sense a peace here, calmness here. And, and I also got the sense that they were like, look, you're just going to come here and do your thing. You know, we're going to give you some autonomy. We know what we know but we also know what we don't know. And you clearly know TV. So go do that. And I was also recommended by a really good friend of the partner. So that helped for sure. But meeting with Jamie was where it really, it was cemented for me. I'm like, oh, this is a place I needed to be. We, we were at a coffee shop and he got a call from his wife and he was like, excuse me. And then he went and had a call and I was like, this is it. Like the fact that this man was like, I got to take this call. My wife is calling. That is, that's what did it for me. Well, value aligns, like you were saying, that balance is important. And that was like solidified for you early on. But I guess I'm curious, like you had sort of, you mentioned that you realized maybe the executive path isn't what you wanted. You wanted to be a producer. So I guess I'm curious why, how come you chose to manifest this kind of role versus maybe stepping out into more of a producerial thing? Maybe, I don't know if that ever appealed to you, right? The other path of maybe like, the independent route, kind of putting your own projects together, bringing stuff to the studios, to partners, to develop with them. Did that thought ever cross your mind or was there like a, a reason why you sort of really chose to focus more on just the TV TV side within companies? Yeah. I uh, To be honest, I didn't know the other thing was an option at the time. Ergo, why we have this podcast, because nobody knows anything until no, you're like in it. <laughs> I didn't. I was like, oh, I could do my own thing. And then when I started learning more about it, I was like, Ooh, that's, it is difficult to be an independent producer. And I, I, as much as I am not a network person, like I can't, I don't see myself being a development segment, a network or studio. I really like being at the beginning of things and going back and forth with ideas. I do need some type of structure. And I came here to not only be able to produce the things that I, I wanted to do, but also produce the things that these guys wanted to do. You know, mm-hmm. they had tons of ideas and, and they had, I mean, night agent being one of them, you know, I wanted to be yeah. involved in that. And, but I, I wanted to still, I knew I had to learn about the business, right? This, the beauty about being here is you have the creative head with Jamie. You have, but you also have the pro, capital P producer with William, who's the guy that who's been in the game for a long time, started many companies, but who has this, I, this mind for how, how to get things across the finish line. And then you have, you have Paul who comes from a structured finance background, but is readily available for me to ask anything and everything about deal points 
and all, all these mm. things that I don't understand to this day. I'm still trying to learn, but I, I math, the math ain't math for me. I'm sorry. I think I, I'm just still really creative, but there it's always, it's there for me. Right. Mm-hmm. The, I thought I had an entrepreneurial spirit. No, these guys definitely have it. And so it's, it's then looking at, well, how do you put things together? Not just stateside, but internationally. I never, ever would have thought that at all. But, you know, being around these guys, again, as being a sponge, that was what I needed. That's what I wanted. That's what I love about being here is that I can still be creative and do all the things, but I can still learn how to be, because let me, let me tell you, there's a very different, there's, there's one thing to be the creative producer to get the pitch right and I'll make the deck look good and all that. But there's another thing when you have to put on this hat, when it comes to ta- another hat, when it comes to talent relations and, and figuring out how to settle on the right budget, all of that stuff. And I think I'm, I, I really want people to, more people to seek that out because it is called show business. <laughs> it is mm. business. And I think what's missing from a lot of people's experiences is understanding that piece. I mean, I mean, this is what the writers are talking about, right? Uh, being able to produce those episodes that they write. I, it's equivalent to that. Like being a producer here is, is giving me the opportunity to not only do the creative piece, but to understand the business piece. Right. I have William Paul there. I'll call away. I mean, Paul's office is right in front of me. I can just walk in and get that knowledge. Yeah. What there, do you think is the biggest differentiator between what it, an executive and a producer and what they do? Oh, yeah. Yeah. An executive... I mean, there is a difference. Producer is very much, you can still be an executive as a producer, but that producer skill set is something I'm still trying to work on, right? It's it's really the talent relations and figuring out how to talk to executives at buyers, you know, and and (laughs) trying to get the note behind the note, you know, Mm -hmm. right? Why are you really passing? Do you really want to pass? Explain to me why you want to pass on this project. Right, and right. I think that's when the P, capital P producer comes into play. The executive piece is, okay, I, you're, we need to punch up on the character development here, or you know, we need to flesh this area, story plot out, whatever, whatever. But the P, the P is, is the key. That, that skill set is a, a is a very powerful skill set. I've been fortunate enough to see it firsthand with William and it is fascinating. It's like a masterpiece, yeah. right? So that is where I feel like I really wish more people had that experience. How yeah. do you think people go about getting that experience? How do we revolutionize the business so that people, even those that maybe don't want to be producers necessarily, Mm-hmm. start to really learn more of the business side of it, which helps them then navigate their path as creatives specifically to have this knowledge because it's not being taught in film schools. You certainly ain't learning it in the mailroom. So where in the business do you go to learn this if nowhere in the business it's actually taught? I think initially my 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 answer would be like, I always tell people who are, when you're starting into the game, get a job everywhere. Get a job at a production company, get a job at a studio, a network, an agency, like just get it across the board. And in all of these companies, there will be one person 
there, there has to, I, there has to be one person where you can go after you build a relationship with them. Hey, can you explain to me these deal points? Like, what, what is, what, what's this floor? What's MAGR, right? What, what is all that? And I think that if everyone, because, because it's, it's great to have like a, a singular vision, like, okay, I want to be this, but I think it's really important to make sure you find a position in all aspects of the business and be able to learn as much from those positions that you're in. Because when I was at a network, I understood what a network exec does. Same thing at a studio, same thing as a production company. I worked at an agency. So that's when I decided, okay, I don't want to do this. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Right? Don't but you had to be on the inside, right? You had to be on the inside to see yeah. it and experience yeah. it. Because right. even if you like theoretically can read a job description for those various you know, roles, on paper, it can feel like the same thing. Yeah. Sure. But it's inherently very different. And it's like, you only have so many time and so many lifetimes to get to experience it all. And I was just talking about this to someone over coffee. Like there's always going to be gaps in your knowledge, no matter what path you come up in, because it's, it's like all the rules and all this, all the secrets and all the knowledge is really kept under lock. Right. And you got to have these keys to secret doors. And it's like, you only, and then you start to advance in levels and it's almost like a game of resilience. You only get those keys once you've proven yourself to some power that be where they're like, all right, come on in. Let me show you this shit. Like, this is how we do it. You know what I mean? It's like the mafia definitely. That's how it goes. That's exactly how it goes, Caroline. They're like, yeah, you come in now. Secret code. All right, come on in. Let me show you this. But like, it takes a lot of patience to even get, get there. And if you're lucky enough, you meet the right people who just maybe are exhausted enough and just tell you the secrets. But like, that's what makes it so hard to like really distill it for anyone starting out like how you navigate all of this it's really just time I mean for me I felt like it really took a decade before I felt like I get it now yeah absolutely I'm sad like no, it, I don't know no. any other industry where that's like the barrier to entry is just a decade of like grinding it out <laughs> <laughs> well you could say like you look at other professions like medicine they have to go through four years of pre-med and then another four years and then all these years of residency. So there is a lot of buildup to it. Fair, but you at least know, all right, if I do this for this amount of time, this will result here. That is true. That's, not the, that's not the case. No, it's not. It's- there, you're absolutely right. There are people who've been in positions where, you know, I've been in for three years and I've just expected to just uh, be promoted and, and they're not. And I, I would say it's a combination of knowing yourself knowing the environment you're getting in and being okay to walk away. Cause I also feel like people will just stick in a position for years and years, and years and no shade to them. But in my head, they don't know this as Springle, but in my head, if I didn't get promoted after a year, I was going to leave. I was going to find something else. Cause at that point I was so done with being in a support role that I was just going to, I was, I, I was going to be a CE like with, whether they knew it or not, I was going to be, so whether it was right, right, right. somewhere else. So I had a, a time limit in my head, a reasonable time limit. Cause before joining Springle, I was already an assistant for four years. So I was like, I'm going to do this mm. one more time, but if I don't, <laughs> I'm baby, I'm going to the next place, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but thankfully they, they, they saw what I knew was in me and then they promoted me. But I also feel like there are a lot of people who are becoming disruptors in this industry who are understanding the the lack of access uh, and who want to provide opportunities for it. And I have to shout out Sophia Chang, 
who created this company called Unlocker Potential. I met Sophia through a general. She had a she had a book that was that she released at the time called The Baddest Bitch in the Room, and it was it chronicled her time being one of the few ladies if not the only Asian woman who was very integral to the hip hop, you know, industry at the time, like man mm. and all that. So, I mean, her book is phenomenal. You, I don't want to give too much away because who, just listen to it. Cause she's great. And she, during the pandemic, she was like, you know what? I keep running into people who say they've never gotten, they never had a mentor, like an official mentor. And I want to create a program. It's going to change that. And so she basically called all her friends to be mentors. And she had this process in place where you could apply. And it was like myself, it was, I think Brian Yorkie was in one year, um, the Sammy Fault. I mean, it was like all of the people that I look up to, I'm like, I want to be your, your mentee that I'm being yeah. a mentor with. Um, and she's done this for three years. She's getting into year four. Amazing. And I feel like, and she's not alone. There's a bunch of others who are, who are doing that. Mike Gaio is doing that for writers. He was involved with Ginny in Georgia, wrote in Ginny, Georgia and Insecure. And he set up a, I guess you could say consortium for, for up and coming writers. And we'll have these writers sit with people like myself and others to talk about, you know, get, you know, get, get a sense of the business and tips and all that. So there's, there are people out there that are recognizing the the gaps and are trying to close them. Yeah. It's it's like a slow moving progress, but it's at least progress in the right direction. So yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I haven't heard of her, so I'm definitely gonna look her up and I'll link it here to everyone listening. I'm curious, like, is there a mistake that you made in the workplace that maybe haunts you till this day and you don't have to say where you made it or what it was? But if if there was such a thing like how did you bounce back from it? If there's anything I would, you know, when you're in a position where you're privy to information, sometimes it's just best to keep that information to yourself, even if you think it's going to be helpful to someone. Mm. There was, there was one instance where I, I thought I was sharing information to be helpful and it was not received as such. And this was someone I really cared about as a friend, you know, not only as a work friend, but as a friend friend. And um, I had to learn that the hard way. And our friendship took, you know, it what it never bounced back from it. But that was when I realized, like, yeah, that all the all information that you get, it doesn't necessarily need to be shared. And sometimes you, it's better for you to just be helpful or be uh, comforting to that individual when they find out that info instead of trying mm. to actively keep them from getting hurt, if that makes sense. That makes sense. That's a really oh. good note. Cause yeah, I think sometimes when you have the information, you could want to jump, jump in and offer something that maybe isn't yours to give. And that can create a lot of uh, friction in different ways that you don't intend. You know, I don't think people are inherently malicious though. There are some like shady mofos in the business for oh, sure, well, but useful, right. But I do think a lot of people make mistakes that sometimes are detrimental to relationships out of good intentions. Like really that's the biggest uh, stock you have is in your relationships and they take years to acquire and to deepen mm-hmm. and to build so then, yeah, any one mistake could really like nix that relationship. So you just have to be really careful 
um, as you navigate. And I think it's hard when you start out because it's even now, I think it's sometimes hard to know who do you trust and like how real can you get with certain people? Like I have been caught in the crosshairs of that many times because right. I was like just trying to be a good person and just trying to speak my truth. And it's like, nobody wanted your truth. Like it wasn't, no one asked for it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What do you wish that creative, specifically writers and directors knew about some of the challenges that executives have in doing their job? Like the things that you wish that they just as creatives, they maybe overlook and they're not seeing. And it's like, if this was your platform to speak to them, what would you want them to know? I think collaboration is key. I, I haven't mm-hmm. had this issue. I've been fortunate enough in my in my role to work with, I mean, from Sean, Sean was incredibly collaborative in the night agent. I mean, I so as a I'm a huge fan of his. So like, you know, when I had thoughts, I was I'm like, oh my gosh, he's he's agreeing with my notes or he thinks my notes are great. Like, oh my God. I think collaborating, it's very, very important because it's a team effort. I also think sometimes people just have worked with crappy people for so long that when someone is like, no, I genuinely want to help you. I think that there's this barrier there. Like they're kind of like um, protecting themselves from like disappointment or failure. Mm. And, you know, my job as a producer is to protect you, right? It's to support you. I'm not going to be prescriptive. I I just want to shoot the shit with you. Like I want to do a back and forth. I don't want to take like credit. Like it's not that. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? Like it's, I'm not, mm-hmm. it's not proprietary with me. Like I just want to get things across the finish line. So I think, you know, if someone genuinely wants to help you, let them help you. Like, you know, you don't always have to take the note, right? But, you know, my job is to help you get it across the finish line. So just being open to ideas is really key only if they're good ideas, because I have bad ideas too. But if they're good ideas, like accept them. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. It comes up a lot in a lot of rooms that I've been in. It gets asked of a lot of executives. And so I was just curious, like what your POV on that was. Yeah. I, I will say that it's a mentality thing. I'm not alone. I have a group of friends where we, in our world, everybody eats, right? There's more than enough room. In fact, there are many rooms and there's tables over there. You can go eat. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I think that I, I make it a really, I make it a point to, to not keep everything close to the vest. Like I, if you ask me a question about the industry, I'm going to tell you like today's trash. Like I'm going to be honest, it's basura and I'm just doing it. <laughs> and then the next day I'm like, no, today's great. Cause I did this and da, da, da. I got this attachment. Right. But like I said, it comes down to this, 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 privilege this this stance that I have like I'm here I is a privileged position and it's not just for me to win but it's for others to win so I'm not only looking to hang out with my homies and you know I always think about this yacht where it was like Oprah and like Gail and you know they all they all living in you know and they're in their yacht the billion dollar yacht that's how what I have in my head is me and my homies you all on a yacht but I also want other people to have yachts. So there's, you know, I have my yacht, you have your yacht, you know, and then you everybody gets a yacht. Everybody gets a yacht. And then, you know, you you go back, you know, you reach back and bring people with you. Right. So I'm I'm I have no I always tell people like, look, if you have any questions, I'm here to answer. Like I may not answer it at nine o'clock at night, but I'll get to it when I'm, you know, back in the office at nine thirty in the morning. And I think it's really important for us to when when we do have this information and we've we've made it. It's our job to also look back and bring others with us, 
Otherwise, right. who else is going to do the shit that we want to do? Oh, excuse me, I shouldn't curse. Who's going to do the stuff that we, we want to do? We don't want to do when we're Oprah's age. You think Oprah's? No, she's the people that she helped are off doing their thing. So when I get to that point in my career, when I've been in it for multiple decades, I want to look back and look at the people that I brought up. I think Shonda is a great example of that too. I mean, it's phenomenal. Like all these folks that are these folks that come off from her, like of people who created How to Give a Murder and Bridgerton and all these other things. Like that's her, you know, or all of these uh, women directors from Queen Sugar, like, and then some of them starting their careers over again, you know, like Julie, Julie Dash. Like, I'm just like, you know, all these people, right? Good for her. Yeah. It's amazing when you get sort of more existential and to your point, like of the why and what we leave behind is the ability to inspire others to continue to do the good work because we're not going to solve a lot of this in our lifetime. We're not going to create gender parity and we're not going to reach a place where entertainment is truly representative and equitable and all of the things that we want it to be. At the end of the day, if you do it right, like that is the legacy all of us can leave behind is our ability to look back and go, yes, I did this, but look at all the people I helped, but look at all the doors I got to open. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I think, what makes it truly worthwhile, even in my darkest days. Yeah. And it's okay to be in those days. Just know that, you know, there will be days where it won't be like that. And it's that balance. It's the good and bad. I mean, that's like with anything, but I think that's what really drives me is now, yes, hit shows, make money, woo-woo, great. But it's really like this opportunity to put people on. Like, that's my jam. Like, I I will take that any day, every day, like, to hear, oh, yeah, because of you, I was able to do this. I mean, people to this day will tell me, like, you gave me this great advice. And I'm like, I don't remember that, but that sounds like me. So I'm glad that <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. You know? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a tough industry, but I think what you're doing is important, is important work doing the Lord's work. Uh, you mm. know, I think, I think Amen. it's very important because we are a community and we need to rely on each other. And I really thank you for providing a space for producers because it's often the writers and the directors and the talent on screen, but you know, we're like the ugly stepchildren. No one talks about producers because the producers <laughs> are the ones that, you know, we are the ones that won't let shit go. Like, it's really hard for me to let an idea go. I'm like a dog with a bone. If I see something and I know it needs to be made, because, you know, in this industry, not things that should get made don't. But it's that, <laughs> girl. But it's Don't that, even get um, me started. That's a whole nother right? podcast. <laughs> That's another okay. podcast. <laughs> you know, another thing that I've learned, too. Sometimes maybe I may not be the person. Mm, okay, now that gone. Needs to get it made, right? Yes, you so got to know when to let shit go too, because that's the go. thing. You can't have you can't hold all the bones in your mouth. You got to know what bones maybe you you done the best you could. And I think that's it's so not talked about, but the grief of letting go of projects of relationships part of navigating this business. And I guess that, yeah, why I feel so passionate about continuing the show, despite how hard it can be sometimes, because I want people to have access to these conversations and this insight that you really get unless you're in a room with us. You know what I mean? So, so thank you back for coming up, showing up, going there with me. And so the very first question is, What's a song that teleports you to a happy place? Oh my gosh. Uh, it's a hollow note song and it's called Out of Time. And it's it's my song that I have with my daughter. We we uh we do it, it often. <gasps> You're out of touch. I'm out of time. Time. Yeah, well, that's 
That's, That's adorable. Funny. What is the latest piece of art that moved you? A film, a book, a show, et cetera. It could be anything. Pachinko, man. Mm, okay. So the book or the show? The the show. I did not finish the book and it's not because I didn't want to. I think it was just one of those periods where I had to read so many different things. But uh, Pachinko, I have a new appreciation. I, ha- I gained a new appreciation of my mom. Having to leave her homeland and co- go to another place, I straight up cried when they interviewed women at the end of the, sh- of the season as they reflected back in that time period of their lives. I've just never seen anything like it. I hear Very that. True. Okay, next question. Fill in the blank. When I'm overworked, blank helps ease the stress. I'm just going to shout her out again. Hilo Lux and Karen Richick and Monroe Seal. These are women on YouTube. Like they just, they're, they're giving with these fashions. Scout the City, Side to Silva is going to be on Real Housewives of New York. I'm so excited. Like I watch these <laughs> women and I escape into their lives of fashion weeks and all that stuff. And if I were to have another career, I'd probably be a, a you know, stylist or some sort. What is one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made? And it doesn't have to be financial. Oh, that's a really good one. I don't even have an answer. Hmm, Stumped, I see. Very good. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so this is the last question. I think you'll enjoy this one. So, you know, borrowing from Inside the Actor Studio, which is a show that I loved growing up, There's a question that he always asks at the end to all of his guests, which is inspired by the famed French journalist Bernard Favot. And the question is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Job well done. I already had that answer ready to go because I knew you already had it ready to go. I knew you were. I knew where you're going. I was like, yup. And ever I watched Actor Studio too, so I, I, I love that question. I love it. I love it. I think it's so great. I really do. So thank you again for the for for creating this platform because we do need to hear these stories. And well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a joy and a delight. Thank you so much for tuning in and doing this live thing with me. If you don't already please take a moment to subscribe to the show. You can also find me at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Angle on Producers. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.